right. Hey, before we get started, before we jump into answering some more questions, questions that you guys have written down over the last couple weeks, let's pray, and then we'll get into that, okay? All right, let's pray, guys. God, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to be here tonight. I thank you for this group. Lord, I thank you that, that we can have the freedom to ask questions, to look at who you are, God, and, and to, to try and figure out who you are and, and how you want us to live this life that you've given us, Lord, the life that glorifies and honors you. And Lord, I pray now that as we spend time looking at your word, that, that these questions that we try to answer tonight will not be based on our opinion or what we'd like to see, God, but what your word says about who you are and about our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, what's your question? On the, on the, you can send it to me on Facebook. You can write it on those green cards and put them in here, any one of those places. You can text me, however you want to do it. What's that? Yeah, I know. You don't love me anymore. I see how it is. It's all good. It's all good. Or follow on Twitter. What? All right, week number three. We are in week number three of questions and answers. You've got questions. We've got answers, or at least we're going to do the best job we can trying to answer those questions. So, somebody tell me what we talked about last week. Okay, yes, we talked, about, we talked about different translations of the Bible. We talked about different translations and the things that we should look for in a good translation. Does anybody remember what those were? We're looking, we're looking for something best on the, based on the best original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. You want something that's understandable, okay, Some, because we've got better understanding of languages and cultures, so we want something that's based on the latest knowledge of language and culture, and it should be accurate, okay, and understandable. See, there's four very important things when we look at translations. We also talked about unicorns, because the question came up, were there uni and dragons, yes, the possibility of dragons, were there unicorns in the Bible, because the King James Version actually uses the word unicorn twice, and I introduced you to a wonderful song called the Unicorn Song by the Irish Rovers. If you haven't heard it, go look it up on YouTube. I know at least one person that's put it on their phone as a ringtone now, which is kind of weird, but they did it anyway. So I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you who did it. So we, we've had some good questions, guys. Two weeks ago, do you remember what questions we looked at two weeks ago? Can you lose your salvation? And what was the answer? No. no. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ who has forgiven you of your sins, you cannot lose your salvation. Romans and other parts of Scripture very clearly say that. But we also talked about if you die as a Christian and you've just committed a sin, do you go to hell? Well, no, because if you've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, even if you've just sinned, nothing can separate you from the love of God. If you die and you, or you just committed, what is it, you, you, you killed yourself, you committed suicide, it all goes back to do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? That was, the, that was the answer. That's the driving force behind everything that we do when we ask these kind of questions. So tonight, we've got three questions, and these are good questions. I like the ones that you guys submitted tonight. The first one is this, will we be young or old in heaven? Will we be young or old in heaven? Quick survey, how many of you want to be old in heaven? One of you. Okay. Old. Oh, what depends on what you think of as old. I'm not asking for an age. Don't tell me what you think old is, because you might be like Savannah, and you think it's 30, and then I'm over the hill. 
whatever age old is in your head, keep it there. But how many of you want to be old in heaven? One of you, okay? One of you, okay? How many of you want to be young in heaven? How many of you aren't sure if you're going to heaven? Because I haven't seen everybody's hands raised. Okay, well, you almost raised your hand on that one. We're going to talk later, okay? We're going to talk later. Okay, so the general consensus is we want to be young. Why do you want to be young? Why do you want to be old in heaven? Because you've lived life, okay? So like you're old before you die? So, but the, here's the question. Even if you die old, does that mean you're old in heaven? That's why we're asking this question because here's the reality. Most of us don't want to get older and get wrinkles. I say that. I've got some already. We, we, we want to be young. You know, we want to go back or, or get to like 16 years old or 18 or 21 or whatever those milestone markers are in your life. But we get this idea that we want to be young. But see, when we look at Scripture, the question is, what's it going to be like in heaven? Are we going to be these old little, you know, 60-year-old people walking over with a cane or a walker? And, and we're, just, we're just so glad. I'm just picking that age. I've seen 60-year-olds like that, okay? I'm just, okay, well, let's go with 80. And you're missing your teeth. And you're talking like this. Most of us don't want to live eternity like that, do we? We want to be young. We want to be wrinkle-free. We want to have energy. We want to love life. But what does Scripture say about that? What does God's word say about what we're going to look like when we get to heaven? And the answer is, it doesn't. It doesn't say a word about how old we're going to be. It doesn't tell us if we're going to be old. It doesn't tell us if we're going to be young. But what it does is it gives us some idea of what our bodies might be like. We don't know exactly. It doesn't say you're going to be 16 for eternity or you're going to be 32 for eternity or 59 or 78. It doesn't say those things. But it does give us an idea of what our resurrection bodies or what our bodies in heaven might look like. So we're going to jump right into 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and see what God's word says about this. It says, so is it, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Okay, hint number one, the body that you have in heaven, it's imperishable. It doesn't get destroyed. You can't die in heaven because you're already dead. So you already know you're, you're immortal, basically, is what that's saying, imperishable. That's what that means. So you've got a body that's going to live forever. Let's keep going. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Your body, whatever that looks like, whatever shape, form, fashion that may be, it's going to be something that glorifies God. It's going to be raised in the glory of who God is and in his power and in his honor. And it says, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Now, I read that and I think, how cool would that be if we got superpowers in heaven? That'd be really cool. But that's, that's not really what that's saying there. It's saying that our, our bodies are frail, our bodies are weak. You can injure us very easily. Well, this is saying we're not going to be raised in that same weakness. We're going to be raised in power. We're going to be okay. We're going to be around God. We're going to be protected. We're not going to have some of these physical ailments and frailties that we have now in these bodies that we're in now. It says in verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, which is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. 
But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual, which means we have to be born on earth physically, we die, and then we have our heavenly bodies is what that's talking about. It says, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's Adam and Christ. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That's every one of us. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. That is us when we come back from being dead, when we are raised in Christ, when we are a new creation. Just as we have been born, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So this is saying we're all born in the image of Christ. We're all born in these bodies the way that God intended, the way God set up back in Genesis, where he made man from the dust. But at some point, we're going to die. If we've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then we're going to be raised again. And we're going to have a different body. We're going to have a body that has the image of Christ. That doesn't mean we're all going to walk around looking like Christ, whatever he actually looked like. We don't necessarily know that. We got ideas, but we don't know that for sure. He's probably not the white guy with the beard and the blue eyes and all that. Just putting that out there, okay? But it says that our bodies are going to resemble Christ's body because Christ was from heaven and we're going to look similar to him. And see, what's interesting is when you look at Christ's body, when he was raised from the dead, he had a physical body, didn't he? When he came out of the tomb three days later, Christ was not this spirit, this angel with wings that we picture sometimes as people, when they die, they go to heaven, become an angel. That's a whole other topic. No, they don't, okay? Just going to stop there. But we picture that sometimes about people coming back from the dead. They're this angel. They're this, this, this ghost, this spiritual being. But the reality is it says we're going to look like Christ. So let's look at what Christ's body looked like when he was raised from the dead. Over in John chapter 20, it says that Christ appeared to Mary at the tomb, physically stood in front of her, and she could talk to him. She does talk to him in that passage. In Luke chapter 24, it says he's walking on the road to a place called Emmaus, and he's walking with the disciples, and he's talking to them, and he's carrying on this conversation. And they're clearly not talking to a ghost here. They're talking to a man, this physical being. It says they invite him into the house that they're staying in when he gets to this town and they invite him in to come in and break bread. And it says he takes the bread and he breaks it. Okay, if you're a ghost, you're going to go through the bread, right? You're not going to be able to grab it. You're not going to be able to break it. See, this is telling us that Christ had a physical body when he came back from the dead, when he was resurrected. Further in Luke chapter 24, it says this in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, this is when all the disciples were gathered together in one place after Jesus came back to life. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. See, they think the same thing that we think. If you come back from the dead, you got to be a ghost. You can't be real. But he says in verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, and while they still disbelieved for joy, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Okay, we've got a resurrected Christ, 
and he goes to his disciples. Now, there's something different about his body because it says he just appeared to them. So there's something weird going on there, something that we can't physically do right now. But as they're scared and they're startled, thinking that it's a ghost standing there talking to him, he says, see my hands, see my feet, touch them. You got any food? Give me some food. And he takes it and he eats it. He's got a physical body. When he's resurrected, he's got a body that can still do some of the things that we do now. So while scripture doesn't say that, okay, you're going to be raised from the dead and you're going to be 18 years old and you're going to be able to do this, 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 and this. It doesn't tell us that answer, but it tells us that we're going to be raised like Christ. And when we look at how Christ was raised, it tells us that we're going to have a physical body as a heavenly body. We don't know what that entails. We don't know all the specifics of it, but we know what we can see here in Scripture. And something else that I find interesting right here is that they recognized him. You get an idea about maybe the age question here? They recognized Jesus when he appeared before them. They had spent time with him. They knew what he looked like. So there's something going on here. There's something about his physical body that looks like it did when he was on earth. They're able to tell exactly who he is. You see, Jesus, when, uh, when, when he goes up to what they call the Mount of Transfiguration, they say that you've got, you've got some of the disciples there, and Peter is talking to Jesus, and Peter says, do you want us to build a, ty- a temple for Moses and Elijah? Because Jesus was there talking to Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses and Elijah were guys that lived in the Old Testament. Peter had never known those guys. He had never seen those guys. They died a long time before Peter was ever born. And yet Peter looks at Christ and says, do you want me to build a temple for Moses and Elijah? Calls him out by name. See, there's something about that body, that resurrected body, that even Peter, who never knew those two guys, he still knew them by sight. So what this tells us about about our bodies in heaven is that they're going to be recognizable somehow, which kind of leads into question number two tonight. And question number two is how will relationships work in heaven? (laughs) That's a fun one. If we recognize each other, if Scripture gives us the indication that we're probably going to at least recognize each other, how are those relationships going to work? Well, again, Scripture only talks about one relationship. It only talks about one relationship in heaven. Does anybody know what that relationship is? Marriage. The only only relationship, the way that we interact with people right now that Scripture talks about in heaven is marriage. You see, because you've got at one point in time, the Sadducees, the the Pharisees, they're always trying to trip Jesus up. They're always trying to trick him and, and give him questions that he might not be able to answer. And they do the same thing in a passage in Mark. They come to him, and they give him this trick question about marriage just to see what he's going to say. Here's what they ask him in Mark 12, verse 18. It says, And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. They said, okay, you're not going to come back from the dead. It's not going to happen. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Okay, stop for a second there. Ladies, can you imagine being in that situation? Really? 
Seven brothers? Really? That's, that's kind of ridiculous. Guys, how about that? Say your brother number three. I'm sitting here thinking, this woman has killed my two brothers, and I'm next. Imagine your brother number seven. It's a good thing this is hypothetical because this is a messed up family situation right here. But you see, Jesus, Jesus gets right to the point. He takes this hypothetical thing and explains to us what's going to happen here. In verse 24, he says, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong because you, are ne- you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? He's saying, guys, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Just stop. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Long answer short from this passage, when we get to heaven, if you're married here, you're not going to be married there. Now, it tells us from what we saw about Christ that that we've probably got a good chance of recognizing each other. See, I don't like the idea that I'm going to go to heaven and I'm not going to be married to Kathleen anymore. But the reality is, is that's what Scripture tells me is probably going to happen. I may know her. I, I may even have memories of when we were on earth. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell me that. But it says specifically that we will neither be married nor given in marriage. We know that that part is not going to exist. But one of the cool things that we do know about relationships, not just the marriage, but other relationships in heaven, is that all the bad parts of relationships, all those friendships you've had that have gone south because somebody said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing, maybe all those problems that happen in your family with parents getting divorced or parents doing all kinds of other stuff or or we do the wrong thing and upset our families, all of that stuff will be gone. It won't exist in heaven. And that's not just my opinion. That's not just what I hope. It tells us that in Scripture. It says in Revelation 7, 17, it says specifically that God is going to wipe away every tear. It says that there's not going to be pain, the heartache, the pain, the troubles that we experience. Revelation tells us those things do not exist in heaven because God wipes them away. Revelation 21, verse 1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, all those relationship problems that we have now, the ones that cause pain and crying and mourning and all those things that just tear us apart sometimes, they won't exist. We don't know how the rest of the relationships will look, but we know that those things that hurt us right now, that cause us so much strife, they'll be gone because God's going to wipe it away. The tears, the crying, everything. And I've got to believe, and this is, this is me making an assumption based on Scripture, let me specify that, that if He's going to wipe away our emotional pain when it comes to our bodies, He's going to wipe away our physical pain. 
Because if it tells us this stuff's not going to exist in heaven, it wouldn't exist in one part of us and still exist in the other part of us. So that goes back to our bodies. Yeah, you may be 80 years old walking around heaven, but you're not going to be hunched over because you got arthritis. You're not going to walk and have your knees and your ankles pop every time you take a step. Those things that hurt you, the, the, the older folks that I've seen whose hands just do this after years because of the ailments they have in their bodies, it says it's not going to be there. That pain, that hurt, those tears, they're gone. And if nothing else, guys, that gives us hope. That gives us hope for one day that we've got a God that loves us so much that he not only saved us, that when we die and we are raised from the dead to be with him forever, he's still going to take care of us just like he does now. And it's going to be better than we could ever imagine. And the reality is all these relationships that we're worried about now that we, that we might lose and we might not remember anybody, the honest truth is those relationships aren't going to matter in heaven. Because if we're there and we're with God and we're worshiping Him and we're spending time focused on Him and that is our eternity, yeah, those relationships are great, but that's not going to be our focus because the relationship we're going to be focused on is the one we have with Him. And that's incredible. Yeah, will we miss the people we knew here? I don't know. We don't know if we'll even remember them. At least not in the sense of being sad because we miss them. See, Scripture doesn't answer some of these questions directly, but as we look at Scripture, as we look at the whole of what's going on here, we can get some kind of idea, some kind of hope of what this heaven may be like, of what we might look like, about how we might relate to other people when it comes to heaven. Which brings us to the last question. The last one we're going to cover tonight, and this one I liked. I, I had to do some, some more research on this one than the other ones. This one says, we, when we picture Adam and Eve, we envision them as white. Does it say they are white, or could they be another race? Good question. Anybody think Scripture has an answer for that? It says they were in the Garden of Eden. Where was that? Hey, I want to start in Genesis chapter 1. Because again, the answer, listen to me, it doesn't say in Scripture. It doesn't. Genesis chapter 1 says this in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, what Scripture tells us, it doesn't tell us what color their skin was or what their eyes looked like or their hair. What it tells us is that we are created in the image of God, that we bear His likeness, that of all creation, we are the beings that He breathed life into. That's what's important. That is the most important thing, that we bear the image of who God is. When we look at the creation account we're not told what skin color Adam and Eve had. We're not told what eye color, what hair color. Now, at the same time, God gave us brains and God gave us intelligence. And over hundreds of years, people have studied genetics to try and figure out answers to questions like this. So let's look at some of the genetic possibilities here for a second. For starters, every one of you in this room, believe it or not, you have the same skin color. 
Every single one of you, including me. We have the exact same skin color. I know you don't believe it, Jakari, but we got the same skin color. Okay? I'm, just, I'm calling you out, man. I'm just saying. Every single one of us has the same skin color. There is a pigment in your skin called melanin, and your actual shade of skin is determined by that. If we all had no melanin, we'd all be the same color. What's that? What color would that be? Clear. I don't know. It'd probably be white. The whiter you are, the less melanin you have in your skin. Okay? The more, for instance, for instance, if Adam and Eve, if Adam and Eve had only a little bit of that in their genetics, they look like they live in Ohio during a snowstorm. Okay? They're white, as white as can be. If they have a lot of it, they're dark as can be. And see, the reality is, as you look at genetics, the idea is this. If you've got a couple that is medium brown skin, medium hair color, medium eye color, they have genetically the potential of producing a child of any shade. That's possible. That's, that's what genetics tell us. That's what, what all the science tells us. The same way it tells us that if you take a husband and wife and one is type A and one is type B for their blood types, they have a possibility of having children with every possible blood type known to man from those two. If you've got the right genetic makeup at the beginning, you can produce all kinds of varieties of different, different combinations. That's what genetic tells us. It also tells us this. It tells us that the races that we think of today, for instance, Asian people or African-American or Caucasian or European, all these different races that we think of today, they didn't exist in Scripture the way we think of them today, at least not at the beginning. You see, if you remember at one time, it started in the Garden of Eden. It started with one group of people. And as we continue in Scripture and we look all the way down to Genesis chapter 11, we see that one group of people is still together. And we find out that that one group of people get together and they decide to build a city. And they build this tower, Tower of Babel. You guys heard of that before? Okay. And what does God do? Yeah. God says, hey, if they put their mind into it, they can do anything they want to. We're going to go down and confuse their language. We're going to make it harder for that to happen. So he does. And he goes down and he confuses their language. It says in Genesis 11, verse 8, it says, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. As that happened, as people began to migrate from that one spot to different places throughout the earth, they went in pockets different people groups. The same way when you leave here, you're going to go to your home with your family. This whole group is not going to go with you. Okay? That's what happened. That's what happened here at the Tower of Babel. And over time, as you've got one pocket of people, as they start to intermarry and they start to have kids, you've only gotten a certain set of genes to work with. And there's going to be dominant traits that start to come out in those groups of people. For instance, over time, in people that have an Asian descent, they're going to have the almond eyes and the darker hair. The people who are, who are European descent, they're going to have the lighter skin, lighter hair, lighter colored eyes, because those traits become dominant over time. And we know we've got the languages because God made it happen right there. 
the term race, the way we think of it, of Asian or African-American or Caucasian or, or whatever you want to call it, that didn't exist at creation. In fact, in the New Testament, it tells us it doesn't exist the way we think of it. Did you know that? Acts 17 verse 26 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He made from one man every nation of mankind. Every single one of us came from the same people. It doesn't matter how different we look, how different we sound, how different we act. We're the same race. We came from the same people. We came from a God, again, who created us in his image. We are descended from Adam and Eve. And then when the earth started over with Noah and his family, that is our line. And it's all from the same people. It's kind of scary to think that somewhere way, 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 way back, you're related to people in this room. Like it or not, that's what Scripture tells us. That's what it tells us. So, do we know if Adam and Eve were white? We have no idea. Genetics tells us that they were probably had brown skin. They probably had medium-colored hair. They probably had brown eyes. Because from there is where we would see all the different combinations of what you see sitting in this very room. We've got a God that is so unbelievably creative, that is so unimaginably creative that he can do that with two people. That's incredible, guys. Does that answer your questions for tonight? Or at least those three? I hope so. If not, we can talk about it some more. So here's what we're going to do. Same way we've done the last couple weeks. And let me, um, let me preface this. If you've got a question and I don't know the answer, I'm not going to give you my opinion. If I can't tell you an answer from Scripture, I'm going to ask, can somebody write questions down for me? Write them down. If we don't have, thank you. If we don't have an answer from Scripture, then we'll get back to you next week. Okay? So, who's got a question? If Adam didn't have daughters, who did his sons marry and have children with? No. <laughs> no. They, they did, but they weren't supposed to do that. If you read that in Scripture, that wasn't supposed to happen. That's not God's intention. In Old Testament times, guys, just, hey, just like you'll see in some European or Asian countries nowadays, in Old Testament times, daughters culturally were not considered as important as sons. So a lot of times when you see things listed out in Scripture and you see the sons and sons and sons, some of those people had daughters. You just don't see it in Scripture. It's like when we look at Pentecost and it says that five or was it 3,000 were added to their number. That's counting the men. That's not counting the women and children. So yeah, it's possible that there were daughters there. It's very probable that there were daughters there. They just don't get listed in Scripture all the time. I'd like to think so based on what we read in Scripture. I don't know that for a fact. But if it tells us there's no more pain, if it tells us we're complete, there's no tears, then physically that would indicate to us that they're going to be healed. If there's really even anything wrong with them. We see those as deformities. We see those as imperfection. That doesn't mean God does. They may be exactly the same in heaven. We won't know. I know that still doesn't answer your question, but that's what we've got, that's what we've got to go on based on Scripture.
That means the kid that you make fun of in school because he looks a little different or talks a little different, he's going to be laughing his head off at you in heaven maybe. Yeah, I was exactly what I was supposed to be. I want to see the angel with the flaming sword that's guarding the gate that Scripture tells us about. That's what I want to see. But it doesn't tell us if we're going to get to see it. I don't know. If God, again, looking at Scripture, this is where we get into systematic theology, where God doesn't answer the question specifically. We look at what does he say as a whole. From what we've seen about the bodies that we might have, from what we've seen about our relationships and how we might relate to each other, it would stand to reason that if he's given us those gifts and abilities to be able to worship and glorify him here where we're imperfect, why would we not have those in heaven where we can do it perfectly with those same gifts and abilities? Scripture doesn't say that. So again, it's, it's our best understanding of what Scripture does say. What's that? Angels do have instruments. Why wouldn't we be able to do it? You just want to know if you're going to be in the band in heaven. I know you. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, any other questions? Scripture doesn't tell us that. It tells, it tells us we're going to be like angels. Angels, Scripture tells us that angels are created beings. Angels are created beings. They are a separate type of being than humanity. That's why we know Scripture. We don't, we don't die and become angels because they were a completely separate created being for a different purpose. God uses them for something else than He uses us for. Yes, ma'am. I hope so. I would love to play soccer sometime. I would love it, but I don't know. Without risking breaking something, yes. All right, hold on. We got another question. It talks about the ones that are around the throne of God. It talks about what they look like. Now, there are other instances in Scripture where you would get the idea that angels look like people. Because, for instance, when you look at Mary, when, when she goes to see Jesus on the day he's resurrected, when Mary goes to see him, it says that they get there and that there are two, there are two angels sitting there and ask Mary, who are you looking for? He's not here. It doesn't say that these were some weird guys and they had six wings and talons and why are you here? I mean, it doesn't give us that kind of description. Yes, angels can. No, I'm not going to do that again. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us that, that I think I freaked you guys out a little bit. I'm sorry. I got talons in my head and that face just came to mind. It doesn't, hey, it doesn't tell us that they all look like that. We see different descriptions of angels, so we don't know what all the different ones are going to look like. We don't know. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. No, I will not make that face. I don't think I can make it again. No more faces. No. Are there any other questions? <laughs> we, see instances, we see instances in Scripture. We see instances in Scripture where God does send angels to protect certain people in certain situations. For instance, the whole issue with Balaam's donkey. You, you, you remember that story? Where he's trying to, Balaam, Balaam is a guy, he's trying to go somewhere. And he's got his donkey. And his donkey, there is an angel standing in the way. And his donkey sees the angel and keeps trying to go a different direction. And Balaam keeps hitting the donkey. I'll tell you right now, donkey from Shrek is not the original talking donkey. It's in scripture. Balaam's donkey turns around and basically says, stop hitting me. This angel's going to kill you. Look it up. I've, I've, it's in the, I don't remember the exact passage. It's in the Old Testament. I want to say it's in Numbers somewhere, but I'm not sure. But guys, it's in there. 
where God uses an angel to stop Balaam from going where God does not want him to go. So he, he, we do have an instance where God used an angel to protect somebody. Does he still do that? Scripture doesn't tell me that. Is it possible? Well, why not? It's happened before. We've got it written down here, but we don't know that for sure. Anybody else? You guys got good questions. I like these. Yes, ma'am. Will there be animals? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, I want to do a poll here. How many of you think there will be animals in heaven? How many of you think there will not be animals in heaven? What's that? A dog heaven? All dogs do not go to heaven. Some of them are evil. Okay, I'm just saying that right there. I'm just saying that, okay? Let's, let's, hey, let's go back to what Scripture says. Let's go back to what Scripture says. Listen to me, guys. When God created the earth to begin with and said it is good, and then at the end he got to man and said it is very good, were the animals a part of that perfection? Yeah, they were. He created the animals before he created man. So why would it, why would it not stand to reason based on the fact that God created them as part of the perfect place, those animals were there, why wouldn't they necessarily be in heaven? If God is coming back and recreating the heaven and the earth, why would all of creation, it tells us in Romans that all of creation is groaning because all of creation is affected by sin. That includes the animals, that includes nature. So it would stand to reason that all of creation is going to be corrected when God takes it and corrects it and makes it perfect. That by logic, might include animals. Any other questions? Anybody have any other questions now that Miss Diana has derailed everybody over there? What's that? Zach, you had a question? Okay, hold on. Miss Kathleen's got a question. You're not putting me on the spot, are you? Okay, <laughs> now I better. The purpose of relationships right now are to give us... We, we are created. We are created in the image of God. We are created in his image. As you look at God, before he created anything, God himself was in relationship. It says, let us make man in our image. God was there, existed in the Trinity in perfect relation to each other. Our relationships right now, as flawed, as imperfect as they are, give us a small glimpse of what that relationship is supposed to look like the way that we interact with each other, the way that we learn how to love each other and learn how to serve each other. Our sin nature is what messes those things up. But those relationships give us a small idea of what it means for God to be in relationship and us to be in relationship to him. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. We, we learn more how, how and who God is by the way we interact with other people and do that through serving him. Miss Rachel. I'm referencing every relationship, every single one. Even people you don't know, you hold the door open for somebody, you're serving that person. That's some kind of relationship you've just had there. All right, any other questions? Because if there's not, we got, some, we got two more great songs we're going to sing before we get out of here. Anybody? Going once? Going twice? Sold. Hey, let's pray, and then we're going to sing, all right? God, we thank you again. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to be here, God. I thank you. I thank you for the minds that you've given us, God, the, the minds that can look at your word and come up with these questions, God, just to, to try and better understand you and try and better understand us as your creation. 
And God, I, I just I thank you for everyone that's been here tonight. I thank you for your scripture that we can dig into, that we can try and answer these questions to the best of our ability, to the best that we can understand you. And God, I pray right now that as, as we've worshiped you through your word and through using this intelligence you've given us, God, that you will help us to continue to do that as we now step into music and we sing to you and about you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.